Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at PinnacleHealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Retirement planning was simple and predictable 40 years ago. All you needed was your company's pension, personal savings, and Social Security. Those days are long gone. Most public pensions are underfunded, and private companies get rid of them can't get rid of them fast enough. Social Security's own trustees predict it will run out of money in less than 20 years, and most people haven't saved even a fraction of what they should. That introduction to today's program on retirement strategies is taken directly from the new book, Don't Retire Broke, an indispensable guide to tax-efficient retirement planning and financial freedom. It is authored by Rick Rogers. Rick Rogers is a certified financial planner and president of the Lancaster-based Rogers & Associates, a wealth management firm. Rick Rogers, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. And thanks for making my job a little bit easier so I can just take that directly from the cover of your book. (laughs) I thought that sounded great when I, you're reading it. <laughs> I kind of look out of the corner by, I can see you reacting to that. It says, oh, that does sound pretty pretty familiar. <laughs> if you have a question or a comment when we're talking about retirement in this uh, section of the segment of the program, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. Now, the book, we're going to cover a lot that's in the book, and maybe even ask some basic questions uh, about retirement and retirement planning. But, uh, this is kind of a follow-up on an earlier book that you did called A Three-Legged Strategy, and it came out in 2009. Uh, and we're going to talk about that three-legged strategy. It's part of this book as well. But what's changed in those eight years? Well, a lot of the tax laws have changed, and probably the most significant change uh, since when the original book came out in this one was uh, the Obamacare. So the trying to address uh, what was um, what, what has been problems with their health care system and the impact that that is going to have on retirement planning uh, for people who are trying to plan or want to retire before 65, even for those after 65, uh, makes the some of the strategies much more involved. Now, when you say going to have, mm-hmm. haven't you seen it yet? Oh, well, yes, I probably should say that we have already seen that to a large degree. And thinking forward uh, now, what is going to happen with uh, the healthcare system? Are they going to replace it? Or is it going to be partially replaced? Or uh, just what's going to happen with the Trump administration over the next 12, 24 months? You know, you reached into one of the big questions I had today is all you have to do is listen to NPR in the morning and see that there is a lot happening in Washington. Not as much, but there still are changes going on in Harrisburg as well. Mm -hmm. As a financial planner advising people on how to look into the future, Mm -hmm. how do you do that when you don't know what's going on in Washington or Harrisburg? Well, the whole concept of the book is about diversification. And I think anybody that's had any basic training in investments uh, learns about diversification. It's one of the most important things that you can do for uh, mitigating risk in your investments. And the same applies to retirement planning, and people don't think of it that way. We need to diversify how we save, which is what the new three-legged stool strategy is all about, because we don't know what's going to happen with tax law, and you want to have the maximum flexibility. Um, Lee Eisenberg wrote a book probably 10, 11 years ago called The Number. And the number was about what you need to save in order to be able to retire comfortably. And you might remember, some of your viewers probably remember the ads with people walking around with big numbers under their arms. That was a financial services place that was uh, advertising their services. But uh, that number changes pretty significantly depending on whether the money is saved all in a tax-deferred account or whether it's all in a Roth account because what you're – if we take a million dollars, that generates about 40000 out of a diversified portfolio, 40000 uh, of income each year. But that's all taxable if that, hunt, if that million dollars is all saved in a 401k or an IRA. It's all tax-free if it's saved in a Roth. So you can start to see the significant impact 
of where this takes us, what what that number even has to be if it's saved in diversified over um, after-tax, tax-free, and tax-deferred accounts. Mm -hmm. And where this is going to be very important going down the road is what tax laws are going to have uh, or are going to take place and how is my income going to be taxed. And probably as importantly is means testing. Uh, means testing, uh, in my opinion, is going to come to Social Security. It's already... Now well, describe that means testing. Um, we already have it with Medicare premiums. So if your income for a single filer is 85000 or less, you pay $120 a month. If it's more than 85000 now that jumps up to like $180 a month and, and on an uh, up as your income goes up. So it could be two or three times what the premium is for somebody under 85000 Still a good deal, in my opinion, if you've shopped uh, med medical insurance lately. Uh, but still, uh, it would be a very easy step for the government to take to say, well, if your income's over a certain amount, uh, you have to give 20% of your Social Security back, or your Social Security gets cut by 20%, or gets cut by 40%. So being able to control your income in retirement is going to be important in order to save taxes, but also to minimize uh, means testing to, to and if that comes, and m minimize your Medicare premiums. Why do you think that means testing is coming to Social Security? I mean, it's been discussed, but Social Security yeah. is one of those things. And I don't want to get into a political right, discussion, right. but it's been discussed. But Social Security is one of those things that hands off. Don't touch it. We know that uh, older people, whether uh, they're of Social Security age or about to get to that age, retirement age, uh, they vote. Right. They turn out in, in higher numbers. So Social Security has been one of those things that people have just – they've talked about it, but they've never done it. So why right. do you think means is coming? Okay. And and let me stress that that is my opinion. And that's, okay. that's just I what I think. But, I understand. Uh, but um, an opinion of somebody who's been in the industry for 30-some years, um, it's the easier fix. And, and of course, how do we know uh, what what form it's actually going to take – uh, and I'm saying uh, the Medicare premiums is is a good uh, is a good baseline. Uh, there have been those, and I think President Trump is one of those who has said, you know, why do I need, you know, why does a billionaire need Social Security? So it's easy to say that at some point. Uh, maybe uh, it would be set up that uh, X amount of dollars you've paid in because we all get our Social Security statements or at least have access to them. You can see what you've paid in. Once you've paid that in or, or once that has come back to you in Social Security, now means testing kicks in. So there's a lot of ways that this could take place, but bottom line is there isn't enough money the way it is. There's going to have to be some kind of changes. There's been lots of changes that have been proposed. None of them seem to have gotten any traction. What has gotten traction has been means testing of Medicare premiums. So in my opinion, that's why this would be an easy thing to take. Hey, we already have this means testing in place for Medicare premiums. Let's now apply it to Social Security. But it also, and one of the reasons I asked the question, is a perfect example of the unknowns mm -hmm. coming down the road and whether uh, you're planning to retire within a year, five mm -hmm. years, 10 years, 20 years. It's something you have <laughs> to think about. Uh, in, in fact, let me ask that question. When is a good time to uh, begin <laughs> thinking about retirement, planning for retirement? Well, um, I know what you're going to say, but go right. ahead. <laughs> Well, probably, without a doubt, the biggest mistake that people make in retirement planning is procrastination. Yeah. So uh, the earlier that you can start, um, the better, because you have compounding going on for you for a longer period of time. For somebody, and, and this is a really good statistic, for somebody who is starts saving in their 20s and saves $100 a month, that $100 a month uh, will grow to a million dollars by the time they're 65. But if they wait until they're 30, they got to save three times as much. Now we got to save $300 a month to get to the same place. If we wait until our 40s, now we got to save $800 a month. So essentially, every decade that you wait, you got to triple the amount that you're saving. So starting as soon as possible. Uh, for my clients who want to do something to help their adult children, I encourage them as soon as their kids start earning money to fund a Roth IRA. Because a Roth IRA is a great thing and uh, for somebody who is young, not in a high tax bracket, so put money away 
as soon as possible and let that grow for 30 or 40 years. Uh, you know, there are some things we have to define because not everyone uh, is literate or familiar with some of these terms. Uh, Roth or IRA. Okay. Uh, can I give you a long answer and explain that in connection with the three-legged stool? Because I think it's an important part. It's the good part. thing about this format, Rick. Go right ahead. As long as you don't go for five minutes, that's fine. Well, you had, you had mentioned in your introduction the old three-legged stool, which was Social Security, pension, and personal saving. The new three-legged stool is tax, de- uh, tax deferred, which is your 401k and IRA. That's mm-hmm. where you put money in. You get to deduct it on your tax return. But when you take it out, once you're retired, you have to pay taxes on it. The Roth IRA which is where you put money into a retirement account, but you don't get to deduct it. However, when you take it out, if you're 59 and a half and the money's been in there for five years, all of it is tax-free. And then your after-tax savings, which would be anything that you've already paid tax on that's in a joint account, single account, brokerage account. Mm-hmm. So those are your three legs. And so we want to be able to get to retirement and be able to take money from all three sources And, of course, everything that comes out of your IRA 401k is going to be taxable, but everything that comes out of the Roth is going to be tax-free, and everything that comes out of an after-tax account, only part of it is going to be taxed because some of it you've already paid tax on. I want to talk about uh, some more specifics uh, about that in just a moment. But uh, in the book, right at the very front, in fact, it's in the introduction, uh, you tell the story of Frank Richardson. (laughs) And I'd like you to tell that story here on the air, okay. maybe an abbreviated version of, <laughs> okay. of, of that story, because there are some lessons in, right. uh, in, in Frank Richardson's story. And I think all of your listeners know of Frank Richardson. So uh, a member of the greatest generation, uh, Frank was, um, I don't want to say distrustful, but skeptical of professionals, uh, of, uh, of attorneys, of financial advisors, of accountants. Uh, tried to keep himself well-read because he wanted to be able to do it himself. And like many of that generation, it was uh, save, 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 and save and invest without any consideration to really any planning, certainly not anything as in-depth as what the new three-legged stool strategy is. And so he accumulated this money, and he passed away, and he had done very well uh, with uh, with his savings, um, but his uh, he was a business owner. Right? He, he was a business owner, mm-hmm. and uh, and his uh, survi- and his wife who survived him thought, well, that this is the way Frank did everything. So I'm not going to touch anything. I'm going to leave it the way he had it set up. And then she passed away. Well, when the children who uh, who were coming to me as uh, for advice, now we had this big mess where. He had this money set aside in retirement accounts that never took the minimum distributions at 70 and a half. That's a 50% penalty on the 50%, 50% penalty. 50% tax penalty on the distributions that were not taken. Uh, back at the time that this happened, there was also an excise tax. This was during the Clinton administration. And that was 15% on too much money saved in a retirement account. So the excise tax kicked in. Uh, the money was not actually uh, divided properly for estate tax planning, so we had estate tax implications. And I think the final number was uh, some something close to 80% that was lost in taxes and penalties, which would have made Frank turn over in his grave. <laughs> okay, so 85%. That's, that's, a, that's a figure that is, <laughs> is pretty frightening. Right. But let's go to real numbers. From what I remember in, mm-hmm. in the book... Frank's estate was like two and a half million dollars, oh, right? right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So eighty-five percent of two and a half million dollars, right? Uh, that's his children were left with like fifteen percent, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean that that's sickening. It is, and and it was certainly an extreme case. And the excise tax is gone. Although, although I would hasten to add that uh, one of the things uh, President Trump, before he was even candidate Trump, had proposed was an excise tax on all retirement plans, which would uh, pretty much eliminate the deficit and pay down the national debt, although this was probably 15 or 16 years ago. And I have not heard him talk about that as a candidate or as president. Mm. I, I I don't know. I, when I read that, I just it was one of those things where I audibly said, "Oh my God, that's <laughs> it's just those this, this, this children that thought, okay, our father had worked for so long, built up this business, it had employed uh, hundreds of people, uh, you know, passes away, right. or mother's taken care of, but 
you know, then 15% of $2.5 million is left. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. Rick Rogers is our guest today. If you have questions or comments about retirement planning strategies, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org spine. Our guest during this portion of the program is Rick Rogers. He's a certified financial planner and president of Lancaster-based Rogers & Associates, a wealth management firm. He's author of the new book, Don't Retire Broke, an indispensable guide to tax-efficient retirement planning and financial freedom. If you have a question or a comment, now I doubt Mr. Rogers is going to give you advice right here on the air, but he can give you some some ideas anyway. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can also leave that on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at SmartTalkWITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Okay, you mentioned, Rick, uh, the three-legged approach, and let's kind of break them down one by one. Tax-deferred saving strategies. And as you write in the book, and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, that this is how most people are planning for their retirement today, that they think, okay, I got the 401k, used to be a pension, that's no longer available for most employees nowadays or Mm -hmm. most retirees. But I got the 401k, I'm set. I have a lot of money in this 401k, I'm ready to go. So why isn't that a good idea? Well, I'm not saying that it, it's a bad idea. Okay. It's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good start. Yeah, right. It's a good start. <laughs> uh, it, it certainly is the easiest way to save. It, it, it comes out, your employer withholds it. Uh, a lot of employers match, so it's, it's a smart way to save. And, uh, and it saves you taxes. So for most people uh, who are employed, and by that I mean getting, a, getting W-2 wages, there's not a whole lot that we can do to minimize our taxes other than a 401k and tax-deferred. Uh, tax deferral. And uh, so that's an easy way to save, and it's part of the new three-legged stool strategy. What I'd like your viewers to think about, though, is getting to retirement, and now everything that you've saved is in a tax-deferred account. And going back to my million-dollar number, because ones and zeros are easy, so we're taking $40,000. That whole 40000 is subject to income tax. Uh, When you're drawing Social Security, that $40,000 worth of income will make part of your Social Security subject to tax. So let's imagine that if instead of having that all saved in a tax-deferred account, a third of it is in a Roth IRA, a third of it is in that tax-deferred account, and a third of it is after tax. Now, instead of $40,000 of taxable income, we probably have something about like $15,000 of of taxable income. We still have $40,000 income total. But only 15 is subject to tax, which means none of our Social Security benefits are going to be taxed. And $15,000 for a joint filer is going to be tax-free because of personal uh, exemptions and standard deductions. So a much um, more tax-efficient strategy. And if we get to where your Medicare premiums kick in, uh, then that makes it even more important. So think of it as balance. We want to balance future savings. Uh, we want to balance our tax strategy, and so we want to save in all three places. You know, w- what we said earlier, what you said earlier about procrastination being <laughs> one of the uh, one of the major mistakes. Part of that is as well is that you know this is complicated for a lot of people. Right. They look at a tax deferred four hundred one k and think, you know, it's safe. It's mm-hmm. something that my money has gone into, my employer has contributed to, probably. I know it's there. Yes, I'm going to pay taxes on it, but I know it's safe. I'm afraid to deal with those other things. Yes, and and it requires some thought and probably some professional advice. 
But in general, what I, uh, what I look at when I'm advising somebody on how much to put into their 401k, uh, whatever your employer is, is going to match, that needs to go into the 401k. So that makes that simple. So if they're going to match the first 6% to some extent, I, I want 6% of your income to go into the 401k. And then beyond that, looking at your tax return um, for a single filer, about the first 38000 of taxable income is taxed at the 15% level. I don't want to defer below the 15% level. That's, uh, that number is twice that for a joint filer, so 76000 and less. Uh, and why defer out of the lowest tax bracket? So I want to put enough into the 401k to get me into the 15% bracket. And then beyond that, I want to put the fun, fully fund the Roth IRA. Once that's fully funded, then I want to save after tax. Otherwise, we risk deferring money out of a 15% bracket into potentially a higher tax bracket down the road. Roth IRA, I don't know, you just don't hear as much about Roth IRAs uh, nowadays. Many, I'm, maybe I'm just missing it. I mean, right. I'm sure you talk about it on a daily basis. But uh, if, if there are some tax savings there, what are the the down, uh, you know, there has to be some negative right. that people aren't going to Roth IRAs. Because it would seem as though, if, you know, if you don't have a tax penalty that, okay, I'm calling it a penalty, right, right. but you're not, it's not taxed, then, you know, what's the difference? Uh, well, the downside of it is there's no immediate gratification. So the immediate gratification of a 401k is that I get to save taxes this year. The Roth IRA, I don't save any taxes this year. Uh, where I save my taxes is down the road after 59 and a half when I retire, and then it's going to be tax-free. So it's, um, uh, as I had said earlier, it's easier to save in the 401k because I'm getting the government actually to kick in part of my savings uh, by the taxes that I'm saving this year. The Roth IRA, I'm funding that all on my own. My tax savings comes down the road. All right, let's uh, take a phone call here. And I have to admit, I may have the name wrong. Let me know. Is this Pat? Yes, it is. Okay, Pat. You're in Emmitsburg, Maryland, right? Right. So we're going out of state, even though we're just over the state line. All right, so what's your question or comment? I If this Dodd-Frank Act, and in it is a fiduciary rule, and I'd like to know uh, what is the danger of that being repealed, and if it is, how are we supposed to know our financial advisors are working in our best interest? All right. Thank you very much for your call. All right. Explain Dodd-Frank, if you will, and then, if you would, uh, take a shot at her question. Well, Dodd-Frank's probably a little uh, beyond the scope of this <laughs> this interview, so let's concentrate on the uh, fiduciary rule. Uh, that was uh, introduced by the Department of Labor last year. Well, let me just interrupt for a second. Dodd-Frank has to do with mostly Wall Street investment rules and Right, and protecting consumers, consumer protections, It was after the 2008 uh, financial downfall. Okay, go ahead. Okay, and uh, so the the Department of Labor rule, the DOL rule, was supposed to go into effect uh, this year. And it's just been pushed back to January 1st. So to take the first part of your question, I I really uh, seriously doubt that there's any further delays. I I think the fiduciary rule is is here to stay. Uh, Again, that's my opinion, but I don't think that the Trump administration was interested in getting rid of it. It actually isn't such a bad idea. The fiduciary rule for the, the rest of your listeners is it requires... Anybody who is advising on a retirement account, and that's IRA 401k, 403b, so any retirement account, must act as a fiduciary, which means uh, that they must put the interest of their client uh, first. I would hope that would be the case anyway. Right. I would hope that that whether it's a requirement or not, but uh, quite frankly, I think that uh, the Department of Labor was concerned about... uh, 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 fees and and expenses, and uh, a lot of people aren't really don't know how to ask the right questions. So, um, so this will require anybody advising on a retirement account that they must act as a fiduciary. And then there are standards for documenting that that have been set up. And I guess that's some of that documentation and and reporting is what is being debated and why it was uh, why it's being delayed until the gen- January first. The second part of your question is, um, how do I know if uh, somebody is acting as a fiduciary? Um, You need to ask them, uh, are you acting as a fiduciary? So hopefully you're getting an honest answer to that. And anybody who's acting as a fiduciary must 
uh, provide uh, the, uh, their client with a, uh, the disclosure form, which is uh, the ADV Part 2. And in the disclosure form, uh, it tells you any potential conflicts of interest, what their total compensation is. And so that's one of the ways to be sure if they're providing you with this disclosure form, ADV Part 2, they're acting as a fiduciary. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a phone call from Jay, who I understand is traveling through Pennsylvania. Jay, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. I, uh, I listen to these shows all the time, and my situation is a little different. So I'm just going to give you meat and potatoes. I'm 50, married. I have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old. My wife and I are not working. I'm retired from a police department. Uh, I'm disabled uh, federally. So I have a pension, and I have Social Security. Uh, my wife is not able to work right now. Um, my tax advisor... Um, tells me I can't put in money into any IRAs. It's not going to be, I can't put any money into IRAs because I have no income. And so I can't get to write off any money. So the best thing to do is just put money into my daughter's 529. So I have regular accounts in an investment firm in Manhattan. Um, I have approximately uh, 500000 there. Then I have 500000 in a deferred comp. And then maybe another hundred in my union uh, annuity or something like that. So where the money that I'm saving on a month-to-month, because we're on a tight budget, so we can continue to invest for our daughter's future, where can I put it in that's best to get my most bang for the buck? I, I, I don't know if you can give specific advice, right. but maybe some some general. I'll have you listen on, on, on your radio. Some generalities? Yes. Uh, well, your, uh, your accountant is correct. Uh, it's actually... Earned income, so you can only make retirement contributions based on earned income, and uh, your uh, your pension, Social Security, those are not earned income. And your deferred comp, when it starts, when you start to take distributions, uh, I've seen that sometimes where it qualifies as earned income, so that might be a possibility. But again, your accountant would be able to advise you. I would concentrate on tax-efficient investments because you, you're going to have to save after tax. So there's nothing that you can do to minimize uh, or to reduce the tax on your pension and your Social Security. But uh, let's try not to generate any additional taxable income. And so for that, it would be municipal bonds, tax-free bonds, because none of that interest is subject to tax. And in the case of growth-oriented investments, it would be uh, probably uh, index funds that uh, do not generate much in uh, distributions. Uh, there are also tax-managed funds, which try to invest uh, the stocks in a way that don't throw off dividends, which would be gen- uh, generate, generating taxable income. At some point, when you're trying to spend it, now it becomes taxable because now you're going to be selling those investments in order to spend it. But now it's going to be considered capital gains, and if it's held 12 months, it's going to be long-term capital gains. If you're in a 15% bracket, uh, long-term capital gains are taxed at zero, so that's terrific. If you're above the 15% bracket, that's uh, there's a maximum rate of 15% until you get into the highest tax bracket. So it still has preferential tax treatment. So minimizing investment income would be the best strategy for you. And I'm not saying that this is uh, the way to go with uh, this gentleman who just called in. But something else I did want to ask about, and we haven't mentioned here, annuities. Mm -hmm. And I've often seen annuities described as income for life. (laughs) Right. What about annuities? Well, uh, uh, that's a a pretty broad topic, but uh, generally what annuities were designed for was to be a private pension. So you put money into it, you save the money after tax. Um, They could also be bought in an IRA, but I mean, we're just talking about annuities as a general investment. Uh, You buy those and and, uh, the investments grow tax deferred. And then at some point in the future, you convert it into an income stream. Um, And uh, you can elect several different options, but one of those is lifetime income. Uh, If I'm married, it could be joint life expectancy, and now you've got a guaranteed check every month uh, for some amount of money. So for the people who are very, or your investors who are very risk adverse, I think annuities make sense for part of your your savings, for part of your retirement, Uh, especially if you don't have a pension. Now we have have social security benefits. We have our annuity income, which is my pension, 
and then my other investments to be my three-legged stool. Let's take a phone call here from, and I have to look at a name here. I think we're Jake in Liverpool. Is it Jake? Yes. Okay, Jake, you're on the air. Can can you hear me good? Yeah, we hear you very well. Okay, good. Yeah, I just had a question about the 401k Roth. We have um, that uh, 401k Roth at, at work, and... Um, I kind of diversify in it 10%, 10%, 10%, 20 whatever, and of my contribution. And I'm wondering, am I getting feed to death that I don't know about? Would I be better off to put it into one or two of my options instead of 10? Um, hey, thank you very much for your call. I don't know whether he's exaggerating with 10 or not, but uh, fees. Uh, and I think he even mentioned hidden fees. Right. Uh, if it is a 401k, uh, they're under the Pension Reform Act of 96. All, all fees and expenses have to be disclosed to the participants. And the fact that you're diversifying it into 10 different types of accounts uh, wouldn't, in, uh, without seeing it specifically, I would not think that that in and of itself would make the fees higher. Uh, probably just from complexity, it would be simpler to have it in fewer accounts and diversified within each one of the accounts. And dividing it between a 401k Roth and a, and a regular tax-deferred 401k would really be a tax question as to how much should be going into each. We have an email here from Alex. It says, my grandfather always told me growing up to open a Roth IRA, but I failed to do so. I do plan on starting, but I don't know the rules regarding them. What times pertain to Roth IRAs? I don't want to be like my mother who didn't start saving for her retirement until she turned 50. Okay, well, the maximum that you can put into a Roth IRA is $5,500 per year. You have to have at least $5,500 of earned income in order to make that contribution. And by earned income, that would be whatever's on your W-2, so it would be wages. Or if you're self-employed, it would be your net self-employed income. And by net, I mean after any business expenses. So think of eligible income as anything that you have to pay FICA tax on or self-employment tax. Once you're over 50, then you have a $1,000 catch-up, which means the maximum Roth contribution is 6500 uh, the uh, the amount that you can put in as a minimum, um, assuming that you're going to actually have 5500 or 6500 income, it's really is going to be based on whatever the custodian. Um, Vanguard is a popular custodian, and I think for IRAs of any kind, they probably have um, – not even going to do this justice. It might be like $500 to start and then $100 systematic investments. Uh, but just check with whatever the custodian is and get something started. Bank accounts probably don't have any minimums. We have an email from Kayla. It says, I'm leaving my first job to go back to school full time. When I leave my job, is there anything I should do with my 401K? Any advice with student loans to pay attention to? Uh, I would... Uh, y- you need to check with your employer that you're leaving to see what your options are. Some employers do not allow you to leave it in the 401k. They want you to do something with it and to move it. Uh, other ones aren't restri- aren't very restrictive. Once you decide to change it, uh, then you got to move the whole thing and not take partials. The best uh, advice I can give you without knowing any specifics would be I would leave it in the 401k and uh, until I was employed uh, and then check with my current employer if they would allow me to switch the 401k, my old 401k, into my new employer's 401k. The advantage of keeping it in a 401k is you generally, for, uh, most employers allow access to it through loans. When, when it's rolled over to an IRA, you can't uh, take a loan against it whatsoever. And the penalty for early withdrawal from an IRA is, is at 59 and a half or younger. But from a 401k or 403b, any co- corporate-sponsored plan, it's 55 and younger. So you actually have access to it without penalty earlier. So I would try to keep it in a 401k and keep it with my current employer if I could. Something else, the second part of her question, and it's something that many, many people are dealing with, especially younger people, student loans. I mean, we, you, I'm sure you hear this. We have all said this ourselves. It is so difficult to save, whether it is in a 401k or for those cash reserves. I'm going to talk about right. that in mm-hmm. just a moment. But how do you do that if you are paying a certain amount? Again, you owe $25,000, right. $30,000 in student loans. Yeah. um, 
Well, there's not an easy blanket I, answer. I, I would just I say that we want to try to do, um, we, we want to try to be diversified and save a little, uh, not just concentrate on paying down debt and not putting anything aside. Uh, certainly, if your employer is matching anything to the 401k, you, you have to do that. So you've it's got free to put, money. It, yeah, it's free money, and uh, if you don't take advantage of it, it's gone forever. So you're never going to be able to play catch up with it. So I would say that that would be probably the place that I would start. I want to put aside at least into the 401k something, and I, that would be what they are going to match, and then put some aside into after-tax savings because you need to have an emergency reserve as well, and then the rest towards debt repayment. All right, let's talk about that emergency reserve. Cash reserves, as you're planning for retirement, what do you need cash-wise? A general rule of thumb is three months' worth of living expenses. Uh, the problem with rules of thumb is uh, <laughs> is they're, they're they just make rules their of, ways off the right. thumb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would want uh, it, it's going to depend on the stability of your income. So if your income in retirement is going to be met by mostly uh, pension and social security, those are pretty stable incomes. I wouldn't need as much. Uh, if my income was not as stable uh, through things that are less secure, I would probably want to have more than three months uh, worth of living expenses. Always looking towards big expenses. Um, most investments uh, are going to be liquid, so it's not a matter of getting uh, taking the money out. It's the matter of is the timing good. Well, you know, if I needed uh, if I needed to take a big chunk of money out of my portfolio today, and the Dow's at twenty one thousand, well, yippee! It's at the right time, so no big deal. But if it was March of two thousand and nine, the market's down fifty percent. I don't want to have to take it out. So thinking ahead and having money set aside uh, so that I don't I'm not forced to sell my investments. And one of the strategies that we implement at Rogers and Associates is to take the fixed income portion of clients' portfolio and ladder it into bonds that are coming due on a regular basis every three to four months, and that becomes my liquidity. So if I, my client needs money, I'm never going to be more than a month or two from a bond that matures. Rick, I want to thank you very much for being on. There's, there's so many other questions that I have that we'll have to do it again in a, uh, another time. Other than extraordinary give in right. uh, Lancaster, Look where we have it. you on on a regular basis in November. But one final question. You talked about health care right off the bat. Mm-hmm. This is probably health in, in retirement is probably the most unpredictable aspect of your older years, your retirement years. How do you plan for health care? I mean, we're talking insurance, but for, you know, say there's a health emergency, something you don't plan on. Right. Especially for anybody who is thinking of retiring before age 65, uh, that has to be dealt with up front. Probably as important as whatever that number is that we've we've set aside. How are we going to cover health care? Uh, it certainly is much easier under Obamacare now that uh, you don't have to worry about pre-existing conditions and so forth. But it can be very expensive uh, for those who are planning that I know that are planning to retire before age 65 and are not going to be covered by a spouse's health insurance. Uh, we do significant amount of planning of income in order to try to qualify for help with uh, tax credits, uh, the Obamacare tax credits, to help pay for the premium. And that needs to be done uh, in uh, the, the sooner we can get started on it and reposition investments to make sure that we have the income and that the income's not going to count towards uh, disqualifying for these credits is very important. Mm-hmm. Rick Rogers is president of uh, Lancaster-based Rogers Associates, and the new book he's written is Don't Retire Broke, which is good advice, Rick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Retire Broke, an indispensable guide to tax-efficient retirement planning and financial freedom. Rick Rogers, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. You know you were singing along with that, but uh, that's how we'll lead into our uh, second discussion here this after or this morning, I should say. Uh, you know, this week, uh, the travel in and near, near York 
and you'll see some of the hottest and most iconic cars and trucks in one place anywhere in the country. The 44th Annual Street Rod Nationals East begins today and runs through Sunday in York. Visitors can see the pre-1987 vehicles at the York Expo Center and at the York Fairgrounds all weekend, but a hundred of them or so will parade down Market Street in downtown York around noon today, and that's always a big a big event in, in York and downtown York. The Street Rod Nationals bring a big boost to York's economy as well. Joining us on this portion of the program is Jim Rowlett, who is marketing director and also chaplain for the National Street Rod Association. Mr. Rowlett, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you very much. Good to be on. Also, Ann Druck is president of the York County Convention and Visitors Bureau. Ann Druck, always a pleasure to talk to you as well. Good morning, Scott. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Well, I'm going to start with Jim. You know, Jim, i got to tell you, that, okay, first of all, I got in the mood by playing the Beach Boys and Little Deuce Coop. <laughs> but when I, you know, when I saw the news release about the street rods this year, and I just read the introduction where it says pre-1987, I really felt old, I have to tell you, because probably the first time I saw the street rods in in York was in the early 80s when a, a vintage vehicle was considered probably from the 60s, but now a vintage is pre-1987. Jim, I'm getting old. Hey, i tell you what, it does make a difference. You know, several years ago, this event was always 1948 and older, and several years ago we, we came to a sudden realization that uh, we were getting older, and uh, we needed to find a way to get some younger folks involved. And uh, open into the later years, uh, not only the classics from the 50s and 60s, but the muscle cars from the 60s and 70s, you know, it just made sense to do something to uh, make this thing a little more available to other people. So so what's changed? I mean, you, you just talked about some of the muscle cars of the 1970s. I imagine, you know, you're seeing some uh, Plymouth Road Runners and, you know, Mustangs from uh, from the late 60s and all that. But, you know, it used to be that most of the street rods probably were from the 20s probably more from the 30s and 40s. But what's changed if someone hasn't been there to York for the street rods for a few years and now they see some of these vintage uh, vehicles? Well, one of the neat things, I think, is, you know, we're seeing a, a younger group, not only uh, participants, but spectators as well. You know, they're, uh, you know, we always assume that everybody loves street rods as much as we do. And, uh, of course, we love them. But, uh, you know, there is a certain, a certain amount of folks that... Uh, like the later model cars and uh, you know it it adds a whole different uh, twist to the event and uh, you know it brings us some new people and and uh, for for some of us guys that have street rods uh, my first new car was a 67 Chevy 2 so you know, I have a special place in my heart for those, and when I see them, I enjoy I enjoy looking at them. Yeah, see, my first car was a 1970 Plymouth Duster, and I you know I keep trying to find dusters out there too. But you know, maybe we should define for those who have never been to the Street Rods uh, Nationals in York, what is a street rod? Street rod is defined defined as a pre 1949 vehicle that's modified for today's highways. So what you have, I, I drove up in a 37 Ford from Texas, and, you know, it's got a small block Chevrolet 700R transmission, tilt cruising air. So uh, you go down the highway like everybody else, and it's, it's a great, uh, great feeling to do. Yeah, tilt cruising air. They didn't. The original didn't have that. I think I'm pretty safe in, <laughs> in saying that. Well, why York? I mean, this is. I said it's the 44th annual. Uh, not all those years have been in York, but the last 30 or so have been. Why York? Well, you know, York has, has made a home for us, and, uh, you know, I can defer part of that to Ann, but, you know, the Visitors Convention Bureau here, uh, the media, everybody is so welcoming, and uh, we just have a great time when we come here. And You know, I tell everybody, these things are like family reunions with cars, and uh, we all get together. It's great to see people here we don't see in the other part of the country. Mm. So talk about what visitors to York and or those who live in York can expect this weekend. Well, in addition to the 3,000 or so vehicles that will be here, we have commercial uh, vendors selling automotive-related parts. So we have an arts and crafts area we call Women's World. Uh, so it's some of the stuff for the gals to look at, some little bit of bling and that kind of deal. And, uh you know, we, we have uh, one of the things that's neat here in York is the Brush Brigade. Uh, we have some pinstripers here that are uh, 
pinstriping uh, different things uh, for auction, and all the money from the Brush Brigade goes to the Make-A-Wish here in Pennsylvania. So, you know, it's uh, a little something for charity as well. So there's a lot of things to do. Plus, you got some great food out here. Yeah, we always look forward <laughs> to that. Okay, when you say pinstripers, you know, I think a lot of people probably think you're talking about those who paint pinstripes on cars. Right. Well, that's what pinstripers started out doing. A lot of people look at a pinstripe and it's a single line going down the side of the car. Uh, these folks actually do works of art where they're striping, and uh, it is pretty amazing, different colors, and, and they'll pinstripe mailboxes, they'll pinstripe a little bit of everything, and then they auction it off here on the grounds and, uh, you know, for a charity thing. So uh, it's fun just to watch them do what they do. It's pretty amazing. Andruck uh, with uh, the York County Convention and Visitors Bureau, and this has become uh, one of the signature events in York, in York County, hasn't it? No doubt, Scott. This really is uh, part of our summer kickoff here in York County. Uh, hosting this event for almost 40 years is an honor for our community. You know, most visitors are pretty stealthy. They enjoy what locals like. They look like you and me. They drive vehicles just like you and me. But uh, when you bring thousands of cars into town with these rainbow colors, uh, our community has really come to embrace street rides, and it's a big kickoff to our summer tourism season. How many visitors do you bring to York, does the Street Rod Nationals bring to York? It's about 20,000 visitors with the participants that are here with their cars and their friends and family. And then it drives, no pun intended, but a lot of... Um, a lot I of think there's a pun intended, Ann. <laughs> I think so. A lot of spectators to the event. They'll come to town to see the parade today, but really they'll be out on the grounds tomorrow and Sunday to get up close and personal with the cars, look under the hood, talk to the owners, maybe spend some of that retirement money that you're pre- previous host was talking about. It's about 20,000. So, okay, what does that translate into uh, bringing into the economy? You know, it's huge, Scott. Um, Over the years, it's amazing, mind-boggling to think about it. But this weekend alone, we're looking at 13 million in economic benefits that the street rides will bring to our community. Uh, you know, and one of the first things you notice uh, when you see all this, and you see them all over South Central Pennsylvania, by the way. Right. I, uh, you know, was talking to someone who was on the Pennsylvania Turnpike this morning. They say there were street rods all over the place. I said, yeah, they're on their way to York. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the color and, you know, the reminiscing about the time that maybe that, that, that car was manufactured, I think a lot of that goes into it. You know, I started with a Beach Boys song. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, old music that will be part. Part of, uh, of of this weekend as well. Now, and one thing I do have to talk about, and I'm, I don't want to cast any negatives on this, but uh, you know, one thing that people will notice in York and York County this weekend is there's a lot of traffic, right? Oh yes, definitely, and it's the most beautiful traffic you'll find in the state of Pennsylvania. A lot of our visitors will have smiles on their faces. Uh, yes, it, it's a great thing that tourism is booming and. Uh, you know, just enjoy the sights as you're sitting at the red lights and driving around town. Andy, you uh, in your position, you ever get a ride, like a free ride in any of these vehicles? Oh, yes. Well, uh, the, the gentleman that runs the street ride event, Jerry Kennedy, my biggest ride is on a golf cart because I go ah. all around the York Fairgrounds to catch in all the cars. But, yes, I've Corvettes are my favorite. Uh, I'm a Chevy girl. So, and uh, my dad, he used to race uh, Ford, so I like those, and I also like trucks. But, you know, no matter what you like, even even if you are not in the vehicles, just the paint jobs on these are beautiful. They, they take excellent care of them, and the folks are so happy to be here in York County. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their passion, and we're lucky that they have chosen to bring their passion and their dollars to our community for almost 40 years. Well, I hope that that golf cart has some big tires and maybe some mag (laughs) wheels on it as well. (laughs) So, Jim, talk about the parade uh, down Market Street in York. I mean, this is always one of the big sites in York County. Uh, There are many people who look forward to this year after year. Well, we enjoy doing it. It's a small sampling of what you might see out here at the uh, uh, York Expo. We... uh, we tell folks, you know, if, if you see this, if you're interested in, in that parade, 100 or so cars, 
you need to get out to York Expo, you know, because uh, you, know, you can talk about 3,000 cars all day long, but until you sit here like I'm doing right now and just kind of survey the grounds with all the cars ever shape and color you can imagine it's hard to believe that henry ford said you could have any color you want as long as it was black (laughs) 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 although although there are a lot of really good looking vehicles that are painted black oh yeah well well, i've got a 37 ford that's painted black and uh you know the thing you got to remember with black cars once you start at one corner by the time you get around to the other corner uh, it's time to start again. You know, I know. They, they don't stay clean very long. I, I, have, a, I have a black <laughs> vehicle myself that every bird in uh, in south-central Pennsylvania has taken target at. Uh, so, you know, I know what you mean. But, uh, you know, this sounds like a, a, a fun weekend and something, again, that uh, your Countyans look forward to every year. Now, something, Jim, that uh, I found interesting when the two of us talked yesterday, you were sure to mention that you also are the chaplain for the National Street Rod Association. What does that entail? Well, you know, we do uh, an all-denomination church service on Sunday, uh, do one with the commercial vendors inside the exhibit building, and then I do one uh, uh, inside for the uh, participants, and anybody, the spectators, may may be here. And uh, it's an opportunity. We are a family-oriented type event. It's neat to have... Uh, uh, have folks out here and you know a lot of folks can't go to church on sunday they're out of town so we try to furnish that for them and uh try to uh make sure that uh, uh they have an opportunity to worship and and uh, i get to do the service and i'm i'm proud this weekend i've got my nephew coming to do music and uh you know that's kind of fun it's the first time we've had some time together so i'm excited for sunday morning also, we have Circle of Winners on Sunday. That's so, right. Uh, it's with, a good day. Uh, with a lot of prize money, too. Jim Rowlett is the marketing director and chaplain for the National Street Route Association. Ann Druck is president of the York County Convention and Visitors Bureau. And, Ann, in about 10 seconds or less, make your be- best pitch. Well, Scott, we invite your listeners to visit York County this weekend for Sunshine Street Rods. We have First Friday downtown, Glenrock Arts and Brew Fest, Brews and Skews at People's Bank Park, and Sip and Stroll in downtown Hanover, YorkPA.org, baby. All right. Thank you very much for being with us today. Coming up on Monday's program, uh, leaving the Paris Climate Accord, what it means. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality. 